Hey, witches. Welcome to The Lion, The Witch, and The Podcast. We are two mystic Leos discussing spirituality and human condition in the post-pandemic world. So hop in, witches, for going hexing. Witches, it's a beautiful time of year right now, isn't it, Sean? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a, oh, oh my God. Wait, <laughs> did you see, did you watch that, um, that uh, movie with yeah. Tom? Dude, I cried like a fucking baby. That's why I'm dragging yeah. my feet. I, so I recently watched with him, um, oh God, it, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was about basically the last guy, well, not the, maybe not the last guy on earth, but a guy who uh, survives, it's Finch, sorry, it's Finch. And he survives basically like a, uh, an apocalyptic event that wipes out a ton of people on like the East coast. Um, and we find out that when he gets like to, towards the West coast, things are better, but basically the sun is like burning everyone. Like the UV, um, layer on the earth has like, has some holes punctured in it and the sun is hurting. Um, and basically he's building a robot to take care of his dog because he's dying from radiation poisoning. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Did you ball your eyes out? Oh, that was a triggering moment. <laughs> oh my God. The fact that I had a glass and a half of wine in me. So I was an emotional wreck baby <laughs> oh my gosh uh, I would have died I would have like yeah were you holding on to Vivi like the whole time yeah she like was sitting next yeah. to me on the floor and I just had like my head on or my my head I had my hand on her head like just you know just holding her head and she was looking up at me like you're gonna do something with the hand move it back and forth or just have it planted on my cranium here and I was like yep you gotta just have it planted on your cranium here just need some support right now. Savage. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> hey, how would you was your week? Well, this past week was in bulk. Um, so of course I employed all of our fun rituals that uh that we had talked about um in our in bulk episode. And um, I did my little candle service and I, I lit my my in-bulk candle from Cauldron Candles in front of my uh, Bridget altar. And it was really nice. You know, I um, I did a lot of praying for healing um, and for health. And that's like a great time uh, during in-bulk to, you know, make those petitions. Um, we're bringing Vivi to the vet. So of course I was like, please let her be fine. And, you know, <laughs> prayed to like every goddess in the, the goddamn book and to, to them. I say thank you because we are good. Um, but yeah, you know, just had like a a nice start to the week. We launched our Venus and Furs this week, which you no, know, I'm so excited about because it's it's a V Day season, babes. Um, uh-huh. packed up some orders for it. Super exciting. Um, and yeah, kind of just been like basking in the Venus glow. How about you? I love that. Um, I'm trying to think. Super funny. So my sister's birthday is on in bulk, which is like mm-hmm. pretty amazing because she is wonderful. She's a wonderful human being. Love my sister. Mm-hmm. And it was so, it was just really fucking funny. So Blake and I got her, she, there's these like really dope coffee table books and it's from this company called Tashin. And anyone, yeah. if you go, yeah, they're beautiful hundreds of dollars a lot of them there was mm-hmm. one that I saw it was like a Ferrari engine and it was like six thousand dollars I was like yeah hmm, it could be good for my dad but I don't know if that's going to be worth the money sell my kidney yeah. for it <laughs> literally I was like hey, I don't know about that so we got her an amazing like really dope book and I went over to her place last night and she saw the wrapping and she was like oh my god you're kidding and I was like, what is, what does that mean? Like, is it what, like, did you already get one? Is Dad it something good. she's, she's How like, feel? she's like, well, do you want your early birthday present? I was like, what does this mean? What the fuck? So <laughs> she went into that same store and she oh. bought me, she bought me their tarot deck and dude, nice. this book. So it's absolutely gorgeous it is purple velvet book 
and you open it Ooh. and it, ha- oh my God, it's amazing. I, I, you will, you will see it. Uh, it was so fucking funny. The fact that both of us like got us, she's like, well, I mean, your half birthday's in February. So here you go. I guess I'll find you another thing for your birthday. I'm like, you know what? Great minds think alike. And <laughs> I was like, happy in book to me. I got <laughs> Yes. So they um, recently came out with a book that was in part edited by um, Pam Grossman of The Witch Wave called I think it's called witchcraft so I think it's like a a huge huge witchcraft resource that I'm hoping to have in my hands someday but it's on like back order and there's like all these shortages because it's huge and amazing and I think Julia Diaz is in it and I think Judica Illis is is somehow involved and it's like it's incredible so yeah that company is really great love it Oh my God. Yeah. So that was just really funny. And I guess it was witchy because the deck is absolutely beautiful and fucking purple velvet. And I was like, oh my God, I remember seeing this in the shop. Love it. Love it. That like, well, speaking of love it, that kind of ties into our, our topic uh, of loving it. What are we talking about? Um, we're talking about Lupercalia and Valentine's Day because it's one of Sean's favorite times of year. It is. It is. I am Mm -hmm. such like a hoe for Venus. I really am. Like it is just, I don't know. Like it's the, it's the roses. It's the, the Prosecco. It's the pink and the red and And the chocolate and the chocolate. Like, it's just like the treats, you know, the treat yourself and like the, it's just like, it's like such a warm time for me in such a, like, um, it's such a warm and cozy time in such like a cold season. It just like brightens the whole season for me. And to be honest, to be honest, okay, like this is going to be controversial. I like Valentine's Day better than like, like Yule. Like, I, don't I know, know, dude. I know you do. I, I know. know why. It's like, I don't know. I'm like just such a, like, I think my interactions and my history with Aphrodite um just like you know being um being present with her I worked with her a little bit in the past we currently don't work together now and she's kind of like she kind of has like that reputation where she like works with you for a little while and then she like helps you with a certain thing and then when she thinks that you're and this is just like obviously my UPG but when she thinks that you're like, you're ready and secure and you've like mastered this thing that she's trying to help you with, she's kind of like, all right, you know, don't be a stranger, but uh, I'm gonna head out, you know? Which is great. And I, you know, like, that's fine. That is totally fine. I, I like revere her. I respect her. I'm totally in love with her. I think she's hot. Um, I will always have a place on my altar for her, but you know, she taught me so much. She taught me so much about self-respect, self-love, standing up. And she, I believe that she really paved the way for Hecate as well, her place mm-hmm. in my life. So yeah, it's just like, I think it's just like my special relationship with Aphrodite and, um, you know, just my, my love for love. I'm like, I feel very much that I'm a love witch. So yeah. you are my, yeah. Thanks for like coming to my Ted talk. I don't know. <laughs> oh no, but it's so, it's so true. Do you remember when we celebrated Valentine's together? Yes, that was like, oh my God, that was the last time we saw each other before the pandemic, wasn't it? 2020, yeah, I came yeah. to Philly. We went to the aquarium, we saw all the sharkies. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that was like, that was so cool because like there was a shark tunnel there. Oh, and, and we, we did that and then we walked, remember when we walked like to the bridge? Yeah, basically like a shark tunnel to me is like equates with a tunnel of love because I love sharks, so yeah. There you go. Boom. There we are. But anyway. (laughs) Anyway, what are our resources today? All right. So we got a couple resources. (laughs) By a couple, I mean more than a couple. Lubricalia from history.com. The Dark Origins of Valentine's Day from npr.com. Encyclopedia Mythica. The Divine Feminine by Annette Pierceau and Israel Gonzalez, our buddies. Uh, Encyclopedia of Spirits and Encyclopedia of 5,000 Spells by Judica Illis. The Goddess of Love and Passion from Goddess Fidia. Chinese Mythology from Ethiopedia.com. Find Your Goddess by Sky Alexander. And last but certainly not least, Glamour Magic, The Witchcraft Revolution to Get What You Want by Deborah Castellano. Dope. All right, let's fucking do this. So 
origins of Lupercalia Festival and Valentine's Day. According to History.com, Lupercalia was an ancient pagan festival held each year in Rome on February 15th. Some believe it began on February 13th and ran through the 15th. Although Valentine's Day shares its name with a martyred Christian saint, some historians hold that the holiday is actually an offshoot of Lupercalia. Unlike Valentine's Day, however, Lupercalia was a bloody, violent, and sexually charged celebration awash with animal sacrifice, random matchmaking, and coupling in hopes of rewarding off evil spirits and infertility, which is so true. It's like so crazy how opposite. <laughs> AKA chaos. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like some, so like we said, like some researchers believe it was an offshoot, some don't we're not going to really know the through lines, but we yeah. can speculate. So the exact origin of Lubricalia is hazy and it has been traced back as far as the sixth century CE by some resources. According to Roman legend, the ancient king Amulus ordered Romulus and Remus, his twin infant nephews and founders of Rome, to be thrown into the Tiber River to drown in retribution for their mother's broken vow of celibacy. The servant took pity on them, however, and placed them inside a basket on the river instead. The river god carried the basket and the brothers downriver to a wild fig tree where the basket became caught in its branches. The brothers were then rescued and cared for by a she-wolf in a den at the base of Palatine Hill, where Rome was founded. The twins were later adopted by a shepherd and his wife and learned their father's trade. After killing King Amulus, who'd ordered their death, they found the cave den of the she-wolf who nurtured them and named it Lupercal. It's thought by some that Lupercalia took place to honor the she-wolf and please the Roman fertility god Lupercus. Lupercalia rituals took place in a few locations, beginning at Lupercal Cave with ritual animal sacrifice. Then they moved to Palatine Hill, one of the most ancient parts of the city, and within the Rome open air public meeting place called the Comitium, Feasting began after the ritual sacrifice. When the feast of Lupercal was over, the Luperci, a group of Roman priests, cut strips of goat hide, then ran naked or nearly naked around Palatine, whipping any woman within striking distance. Many women welcomed the lashes and even bared their skin to receive the fertility rite. It's open to speculation what the lashes represented. The Roman romantics were drunk. They were naked says Noel Lenski to NPR. Lenski is a historian at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Young women would actually line up for the men to hit them. They believe this would make them fertile, Lenski says. It's like fucking like- Awful. Like what the fuck? Awful. (laughs) What the fuck, right? Like Like the weirdest thing you've ever heard. Yes. So anyway- during Lupercalia, the men randomly chose a woman's name from a jar to be coupled with them for the duration of a festival. Often, the couple stayed together until the following year's festival. Over time, nakedness during Lupercalia lost popularity. The festival became more chaste, if still undignified, and women were whipped on their hands by fully clothed men. Still uggos to me. In Plutarch's Life of Julius Caesar, Caesar famously refuses a golden crown presented to him by Mark Antony during the Feast of Lupercalia. The ancient Romans may also be responsible for the name of our modern day of love. Emperor Claudius II executed two men, both named Valentine, on February 14th of different years in the 3rd century CE. Their martyrdom was honored by the Catholic Church with a celebration of St. Valentine's Day. This Valentine was executed after being imprisoned for assisting persecuted Christians and secretly marrying Christian couples in love. As the story goes, during Valentine's imprisonment, he tried converting Claudius to Christianity. Claudius became enraged and ordered Valentine to reject his fate or be killed. He refused to forsake his faith, so Valentine was beheaded. Legend also tells of another story that happened during Valentine's imprisonment after he tutored a girl named Julia, the blind daughter of his jailer. The legend states that the Christian God restored Julia's sight after she and Valentine prayed together. On the eve of his execution, Valentine supposedly penned a note to Julia and signed it from your Valentine. Some historians believe more than one man named Valentine was executed by Claudius II. Despite the ambiguity surrounding Valentine and his life, 
the Catholic Church declared him a saint and listed him in Roman martyrology as being martyred on February 14th. A lot of blood. Like, <laughs> a lot of blood happening with this holiday. <laughs> like, gross. I mean, you know, like, it was very, um, it was, you know, it was very crazy. And um, a lot of their, a lot of their passion, they, they were obviously a people of passion. Oh, um, yeah, passionate as they fuck. Were, <laughs> they were um, a people of bloody rights and, you know, deeply pagan and we're not going to understand a lot of what they did but it's an interesting through line that they there there was this this um there was a celebration of lupercalia there was a celebration of um you know kind of craziness sexuality passion pathos and then you kind of transition with the blood kind of still continuing um and we're celebrating martyrdom and so it's humanity, right? Like despite religion throughout, throughout religion, it's still, there's a through line with humanity and it's always going to be bloody, right? History will be bloody. So crazy, but we learned something from it, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe we don't love it, but it's still, still interesting. In the late fifth century CE, Pope Galatius I eliminated the pagan celebration of Lupercalia and declared February 14th a day to celebrate the martyrdom of St. Valentine instead, although it's highly unlikely he intended the day to commemorate love and passion. The updated festival was more of a theatrical interpretation of what it had once been. Nolensky adds, it was a little more of a drunken revel, but the Christians put clothes back on it. That didn't stop it from being a day of fertility and love, though. Around the same time, the Normans celebrated Galantine's Day. Galantine meant lover of women. That was likely confused with St. Valentine's at some point, in part because they sounded alike. So there you go. There's Galantine's Day for you. I like that better. Yep. (laughs) Our modern Valentine's Day uses some of Lupercalia's symbols, intentionally or not, such as the color red, which represented a blood sacrifice during Lupercalia, and the color white which signified the milk used to wipe the blood clean from the ritual knife and represents new life and procreation. Like many ancient traditions, there's a lot of haziness surrounding the origins and rituals of Lupercalia and how they influence Valentine's Day. Crazy. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely crazy. Uh But we do get some fun things from it, like the gods of love. I was going to say chocolate, but... Oh, also that there's chocolate and gods of love. Very, yes. very similar things. Very mm-hmm. similar concepts. Yes, very good. <laughs> so let's start yeah. with kind of the main god of the hour, Lupercus. He was thought to be an ancient Italian deity synonymized with the gods Pan and, and Inuus, the Roman god of sex. In ancient times, an altar stood on the north side of Palatine Hill as the sanctuary of Lupercus, on which he stood clad in goat skin, like his priest dressed on Lupercalia. Lupercus was believed to be the god of shepherds, protector of farms, wild animals, and harvesting. He was believed to have helped the she-wolf care for Romulus and Remus. Pan, the more well-known Greco-Roman god of the wild, is associated with shepherds, flocks, music, and fertility. He was portrayed constantly lusting after nymphs and teaching sexual acts, but by far his most well-known affair involves his seduction of the moon goddess, Selene. Venus, or Aphrodite, is the Greco-Roman goddess of sex, love, and beauty. She was born as the severed genitals of the defeated titan Uranus were cast into the sea foam on the shore of Cyprus. Aphrodite was so irresistible to any god or man that looked at her that Zeus married her off to Hephaestus, the blacksmith god, to avoid constant feuding between the gods. But because fuck Zeus, obviously, fuck Zeus, Aphrodite still took whomever lover pleased her to bed, which included the god of war, Ares, or Mars. The goddess had eight children with Ares, including the love god Eros, it is believed. Aphrodite presides over rituals of love and beauty, but is also often associated with protection of those who sail the oceans, as sailors use the bright planet Venus as a reference point in their voyages. Love it. And I also love like this little kind of weird origin story we get from Eros next, because I didn't know this about him. So 
Eros or Cupid is the Greco-Roman god of love. His cosmology is vast. We see it constantly being reworked throughout Greek myth and verse, which is something I didn't really know. He is described as among the first of the gods by both Hesiod, Aristotle, and even Plato, inasmuch as that he is identified as the uniting power of love, one of the original powers of the universe. From later poets, we are painted the picture of Eros that is most definable to us as the son of Aphrodite. In this stage, he is often represented as a handsome youth who is purely concerned with sensual love, causing teenage havoc in Olympus and carrying his golden quiver arrows, which no one else is able to touch without injury or punishment. Eros's most known connection is with that of the human woman Psyche, so beautiful that she incurred the jealousy of Aphrodite. Eros's mother dispatched him to shoot Psyche with an arrow that would force her to love a contemptible man. But upon meeting her, Eros was so struck by his love for her that he ferried her away to a hidden place to protect her from Aphrodite, visiting Psyche nightly, remaining anonymous. Psyche's jealous sisters persuaded her to discern Eros's true identity against his will, and once she had, he fled and abandoned Psyche. Venus found and enslaved her, forcing her to perform suffering labors. Because Eros still loved her in secret, he assisted Psyche and she became immortal. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's a good story. I like that. It's it's kind of like surrounds the idea of loyalty. So yeah. Eros essentially said, you know, I'll set you up with a mansion, set you up with like great food, set you up with whatever you want. You don't have to see anybody if you don't want to. You can see people if you want to. Just don't tell people where you are. And also you can't look at me. So we'll meet in the dark and, you know, her sisters were like, girl, you come on. He's lying to you. He's got you. He's got you by a thread. Like you have to find out who he is. And she was like, all right. So like, I guess I'll sneak up on him while he's sleeping. And she does. And she like shines this. um, I think she like has this lantern and she shines it on him and she sees how gorgeous he is when he's asleep. And then she drips some of the wax on him and he wakes up and he's like, what the fuck, bitch? And she's like, what the fuck? And then he flies away and obviously the story goes further than that. But yeah, it's like, it's all about like, you know, blind loyalty. And I don't completely agree with that, but you know. Remember when I named my fish after him? Yes, I do. Rest in peace. peace. Yeah, he was, (laughs) he was, uh, he, he, he only lived like a couple weeks, but it's okay. He was great fish. That's okay. Poor guy. It's okay. Anyway, next goddess. Hather is a revered goddess in Egyptian mythology, performing a multitude of roles throughout her time of worship. According to our friends, Annette Pierso and Israel Gonzalez. What's up, our besties? Hey. She is known as the golden one and for embodying the eye of Ra, the sun god's femininity, in which she was able to protect the sun god and pharaohs from harm. She is sometimes depicted as a woman with a cow's head and a staunch guardian of women with a wide-ranging dominion over fertility, music, and love. Beautiful. Love, Hather. Next goddess is Ocean. Ocean is known as the great queen and the mother of waters, and she is the embodiment of love and romance, wealth, beauty, abundance, and magical knowledge in Africa. Ocean has dominion over things that flow, water, honey, love, money, mother's milk, and so forth. Her powers extend over various parts of the human anatomy, particularly the reproductive organs. Ocean is petitioned for personal fertility and to heal reproductive disorders. She fulfills devotees' wishes and provides wealth, employment, love, beauty, and protection. Ocean is a powerful witch and an expert at divination. Ocean is the youngest, sweetest, and smallest Orisha, but she may be the toughest. She lifts spirits, she stops invading warriors in their tracks, and is the only Orisha capable of flying to heaven, disguised as a vulture. She is a spirit of incredible generosity and is slow to anger, but once disrespected, becomes extremely difficult to please. Sounds like a Leo to me. She may be the daughter or sister of Yamaya, and her shrine in Nigeria is now designated a World Heritage Site. Ishtar, or Inanna, is the original Sumerian and the Mesopotamian goddess of both fertility and war. She gives life and takes it away. She is known as the supreme spirit of love, war, fertility, childbirth, and healing, and can cause disease and even withhold children. 
in which she provides or withholds the spark of desire that initiates all procreative action. Ishtar manifests as a beautiful young woman, lavishly dressed and bejeweled. She may be thousands of years old, but she appears consistently youthful. The Empress card is the Smith Weight Tarot deck is based on her imagery. Inanna or Ishtar sits on a lion throne and holds a double serpent scepter. I mean, doesn't, I mean. He's just sounding like a Leo to me. I know, I I agree. Maybe they're (laughs) all Leos, I don't know. Every goddess of love is a Leo, okay. (laughs) Okay, Anya is the ancient Irish preeminent goddess of love, desire, fertility, and protectress of humans from illness. In the post-Christian world, she was reclassified as a fairy queen or Saint Anne. Beautiful Anya is an autonomous spirit and answers only for herself, taking lovers, both men and spirits alike, as she pleases. Anya is invoked for assistance with love and romance, as well as for protection. She can heal infertility as well as many other ailments. Anya manifests as a beautiful woman on a red mare, a mermaid sitting upon the birthing stone in Logur, combing out her long hair, or as a wise and old woman. Those who greet her politely and graciously and meet her mild demands receive good fortune. Those who don't learn the meaning of trouble. Branwyn, the Welsh essence of love and beauty, is also known as the White Raven. Like the goddess Rhiannon, her mythos involves persecution after an estranged marriage followed by great struggle to reclaim her freedom. During her betrothal feast to an Irish king, Branwyn's half-brother decided he felt cheated because he had not been consulted on the marriage and slaughtered the king's horses. Branwyn was punished for her family's betrayal by being forced to work tirelessly in the king's kitchens. When she is rescued by another brother, Bran, her evil half-brother returns and throws her newborn child into a fucking fire. Jesus Christ. War ensues and all but a few Welsh soldiers, Branwyn and Bran, survived to return to Wales before Bran dies from being struck by a poison-tipped arrow. Branwyn dies also of a broken heart for all those who died for her fight for freedom. She serves as the maiden form of the triple goddess and seeks to safeguard mistreated women from abusive relationships so they can find love anew. I mean... Doesn't she, get better than that. Yeah, she is. She's one badass goddess, that's for sure. He is... Another badass goddess, Freya. Mm. Freya is the Norse goddess of passion, fire, and glory. Born among the Vanir, deities known for their connections to earth and magic, Freya and several other deities align themselves with the Isir, deities of war and sky, to bring an end to their conflict and maintain spiritual peace. Of this conjoined celestial clan, it is she who would emerge amid the newly enlisted Venier as a truly prominent force. Freya was adeptly attuned in the magical arts and freely shared this knowledge with the gods and goddesses of Asgard, cementing her place among the Aesir. Various parallels seem to connect Freya and the Norse goddess Freak whose dominion over fertility and childbirth correspond with Freya's power over sex and magic. Through the constant condemnation from the Christian church of Freya's sexual nature and the power she held through witchcraft, the spirit of Freya would live on. Along with mastery over charms and potions, Freya is a gifted shapeshifter and would sometimes lead the Valkyries into battle in the form of Val Freya. In this battle-ready manifestation, she staked her claim on half of all dead warriors for her domain, Volksvanger, while the other half would make their way to Valhalla. Freya possessed a feather cloak that allowed the goddess to fly at any time, but she also traveled in a chariot pulled by two gray cats. She's so cool. No, she really is fucking cool. I mean, they all are cool, but like she, you know, yeah. she. Damn, girl. I have to say- I forgot to mention this, but we leaned so heavily um, on Annette and Israel's book, The Divine Feminine, for these definitions. Like, so many of these words are theirs, and they are so beautifully written and gorgeous. And just like the, get the book, The Divine Feminine. It it is um, available on Annette Pierso's um, Etsy, I believe. 
it is amazing. It is so yeah. good. Every section is just stunning and the artwork, the words, just they beautifully complement each other. And you get like a good understanding of these gods and goddesses from, well, I, I believe it's just goddesses in this book, but you get such a good understanding of these goddesses that they stand on their own. You know, they have their own associations. They're not just someone's consort. And it's really beautiful. And it really shows the power of like love and just deity. Um, so please get the book anyway. <laughs> that was a, no, that was perfectly said. And that was exactly what everyone needed to hear because we love them. We love these two wonderful human beings and we love their book yes. and so much more is coming out from them. So, and they've also both been on the podcast and I don't know, maybe yes. we'll get them back on the podcast and do a oh, little cool. like, you know, round table, That'd be round fun. table, baby. So yes, love them, love their book, love everything about them. Back to the Google Doc. Ruti represents love, carnal desire, lust, passion, and sexual pleasure, and is known as the Venus of the Hindu pantheon. The name Ruti is Sanskrit means the pleasure of love, sexual passion, or union and amorous enjoyment, all of which she personifies. Her beauty and sensuality are described in mythology, where she is depicted as a maiden who has the power to enchant the god of love, Kama Diva. She also enjoys worship alongside him. Ruti is not only Kamadeva's consort, but a constant companion. The goddess Ruti is often associated with the arousal and delight of sexual activity, and many sexual techniques and positions derive their Sanskrit names from hers. She represents only the pleasure aspect of sexual activity and does not relate to childbirth or motherhood. She is said to enchant with a mere look. I mean, yeah, that's oh yeah, sis. Get yep. it, get it, get it on, get it on. All right. Last goddess. Um, I just want to reiterate that, you know, we've said this many times in the past. We're not linguists. If we mispronounce something, we apologize deeply and would always welcome someone to hit us up, DM, email, whatever, um, on correct pronunciation. So this is a beautiful Chinese goddess that I'm going to try and pronounce um again please let me know if it's incorrect and apologies. So Zhu Chen Zhenyu is the beautiful Chinese goddess of war, sex, and longevity. Her magical abilities and strategic advice helped powerful military commanders win pivotal battles for China. She possesses supernatural magical powers and has the ability to render herself invisible. She even has the ability to turn the stars surrounding the Big Dipper into warriors that she can use to defend China if the need should arise. That's badass, damn. Mm. Her name means mysterious woman of the nine heavens. The myths surrounding Ju Chen Zenyu largely deal with her role as a confidant who gave advice to powerful leaders on both sex and warfare. Ju Chen Zenyu was assisted by six jade warrior maidens and because of her magical nature, was an important figure in traditional Chinese medicine. Zhu Chen Zenyu descended from the heavens on the back of a red phoenix to give strategic war advice to Hunandi when he was struck in a stalemate. With her help, Hunandi emerged victorious from the war and later incurred a heavenly status from the Jade Emperor. Like, shit! Like, badass? So the next section of the Google Doc is activities for Lubricalia and Valentine's Day. So just a quick disclaimer before we jump in, please engage in love rituals with only consenting partners if you are looking to perform love magic with another. It's unfair to enter someone into a magical act or spell without their consent. Always be ethical with your spell casting, especially when it comes to love magic. We will continue to reiterate that every time we talk about love magic. Devotions to Venus or Aphrodite. In Find Your Goddess, Sky Alexander says to call upon Aphrodite to help you attract romantic love into your life or rekindle the spark in an existing relationship or to celebrate the love you have for yourself. Like, yes. Yeah. As the goddess of sensual love, she encourages you to explore your own sexuality and express your sensual side in an unabashed manner. Read erotic poetry. Watch your favorite guilty pleasure show. Do what makes you feel good and dedicate it to the goddess. Aphrodite can teach you to appreciate your own unique beauty. Treat yourself to a manicure, facial massage, haircut, etc., and bask in the pleasure of your own physicality. 
wear clothes that make you feel comfortable. Attractiveness is more than physical beauty and Aphrodite dotes upon qualities such as sensuality, grace, sincerity, and adventurousness. Enjoy a juicy sumo orange or satsuma and leave a piece on her altar or out for her so that you may enjoy it together. Or treat yourself to a bouquet of fresh flowers and pick one out to offer just to her. Doing anything that celebrates the power within you is a devotional act to Aphrodite and can be used as an offering. I mean, let's be real. I feel like we do that. We are devoting ourselves to her every single day. Another fun activity, practicing glamour magic. Ooh. Deborah Castellano, author of Glamour Magic, says that glamour isn't a magic of landscapes that never really existed. It's everything interesting and exciting about you that you already have inside of you. When practicing glamour magic, Castellano offers a unique approach. If you generally cast a circle, don't. Use another method of protection. If you usually refrain from asking your gods or spirits for small favors, ask and see what happens. If you are usually carefully choreographed, see how your work works when you are more improvisational. Keep notes as to what you've done that is different and then what you usually do and what results you see from your altered work. It's very difficult to change habits that bring us comfort, but witchcraft was never designed to make us safe or comfortable. Witchcraft was created to shake up the world, both externally and internally. It's a primal scream that demands to be heard. The point of this is to turn up the juice and shake things loose, to put a spotlight on your discomforts and turn them into strengths. Glamour magic is about using what you have naturally to get what you want. Therefore, you must embolden yourself to turn every bit of your energies towards bolstering your confidence and making yourself an unshakable force to be reckoned with. Use the energies of this secular holiday, celebrating love to make yourself irresistible. Now this one, taking a self-love bath. This bath should include anything and everything that makes you feel good. But here are some suggestions. Adding herbs like fresh or dried rose petals, lavender buds, orange peel, etc. Really anything that you adore. Decorating the tub area with a red or pink candle that smells divine. And adding crystals like rose quartz or rhodonite to enhance the love energies. Have fun with it. Get a big bowl of fruit or your favorite decadent food and eat in the bath. Like grab chocolate and fucking go wild. Pour yourself a drink and set up your phone, iPad, laptop on a secure space to watch your favorite show or movie in the bath. The purpose of this is to unplug from the mundane or stressful and have some time to yourself and celebrate yourself. So golf clap for that. Oh yeah. You know, once I was on TikTok and I, there was like a period where like I could actually see the creators that I follow on my For You page. And I was following this one like bath queen and she was like absolutely amazing. I believe her name is Megan, but I'm not really sure what her last name is or her handle is. But she made these amazing baths and she would always eat in the bath. And she would always like set up her little tray. She would set up her laptop or her iPad or whatever that she was like watching. She would do like a whole awesome ritual. And people were like coming for her for eating in the bath. And I would always what? be like, what? Why? Like, what is the problem? First of all, let her fucking live. Okay. Let her do what she wants. It's a privilege to see what she's sharing with us. Second of all, um, what's the problem with eating in the bath? Like I've always had like a glass of wine or like a beer or something in the bath. And I've eaten chocolate, like chocolate covered strawberries in the bath before. What's the fucking problem? Like that's fucking weird. Whatever. I mean, whatever, eh, whatever, whatever. (laughs) But I just thought that was funny that like, you know, this person is feeling themselves and having a self-love bath. And of course there's critics because everybody's a fucking critic, but like, no, no, do it. Feel yourself. Eat in the bath. Making love incense or love oil. Fun. Judic Illis comes in clutch once again. For loose powder incense, she suggests grinding cardamom, cinnamon, coriander seeds, and licorice up and adding it to a burning charcoal before bedtime to draw in abundant love. To enhance love, pierce a whole vanilla bean with a pin and burn one every Friday. To find new love, you can grind aloes wood, camphor, frankincense, mastic pearls, myrrh, orris root, patchouli, red sandalwood, saltpeter, sandalwood, and velveter into a fine powder and place it in a red bag. To employ this as a seven-day spell, sleep with the bag beneath your pillow for seven nights and burn a pinch of powder every morning for seven days. 
To make love oil, add the essential oils of bergamot, frankincense, jasmine, myrrh, and petite grain to a blend of apricot kernel and jojoba oil. Place a piece of wisteria in the bottle and wear it as a perfume or add it to your clothing. I love wisteria, so I'm going to try that. You know what's another, like, love oil that's really great? Oh, my God. I don't know. Can you tell me? Like, can you give me any suggestions? Um, Have you heard of this one called Venus in Bird? Oh, yes, I have, bitch. It's kind of our oil. And if you do, <laughs> I mean, if you love oils and you want to smell like a whole, like, bucket of roses every single day and just feel like, oh, just good in yourself it's so silky it's so nice it's citrusy too Mm -hmm. um when I put oil on I notice people are so much more nicer to me just like a little observation like wow you know I always I always sit in tensions with my oils that's like a big thing for me and my craft is aromatherapy and body care so I will usually put like a whole dropper of oil in my lotion in the morning and I set my attention. So like with Serene Celine, if I'm putting that in my oil, I'm going to set my attention for peace, for anti-anxiety for the day, um, for de-stress, you know, for calm. Um, obviously, if I'm using sword and shield, I'm going to set an intention for protection um, and sending any bad energies back to the sender. And then with Venus and furs, I'm always setting intentions for patience, for mm-hmm. kindness, for love. Um to be able to like hear people out instead of jumping to conclusions and being reactionary and just like, you know, being intentional and slow and steady and loving and the day just like goes so much smoother. So that's just that's my experience nice. with that's our nice. love oil. Last thing, make a love drawing charm bag. Add henna powder, a heart charm, rose quartz crystal, cat mint, rose petals, rosemary, vervain and lavender to a red silk sachet and carry it near your heart to attract love and acceptance. That's like easy peasy lemon squeezy. Oh yeah. Oh, we love an easy charm bag. Like especially like one with fucking rose quartz in it. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. sister. Do you want to have like a cute little conversation about like one of our favorite shows? Yeah. Okay. So um, every everyone, all you witches out there. So obviously there's a whole episode about Lupercalia in chaos. And if you know chaos- you know, it's the chilling adventures of Sabrina. And of course we had to watch it and talk about it because yeah, yeah. it's Lupercalia. It's cuffing season. Like, can I just say, I will always be team Nick. Nick, Nick. <laughs> Heart always. is a little, ugh, he's a little he's bitch. A little bump on a log. I can't yeah. stand him. Well, okay. Get to it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about like the plot line. So just for like, you know, just to catch up um, and spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the plot line. So if you haven't watched it, stop and come back when you have watched it. So, you know, we, we like, we meet up with Nick and Sabrina. They are going hog fucking wild in um, Dorian's, Dorian's gray room, which is like their little men's club. They are going hog wild. They're having their little party. Someone mentions that like witchy Valentine's Day, Lupercalia. And then, you know, Sabrina starts talking a little bit about moral Valentine's Day. Um, so they kind of have that like juxtaposition of, you know, which is immortal, which is immortal. Um, you know, what is Lupercalia? She's like trying to figure it out. They're all kind of, you know, kissing each other and hugging each other and getting all like personal and physical at at Dorian so she's like all right you know it's witchy Valentine's Day she goes home sits with her aunts she's like aunties what's Lupercalia and of course um Aunt Zelda comes up oh it's a lusty pastoral festival in which everyone you know celebrates uh getting close and uh comfortable with each other and the beast unleashing the beast within and they have the conversation about oh you know like Sabrina not really sure if she's comfortable with that um Hilda's Hilda's like if you're not comfortable with it you know don't force yourself into it and Zelda's like oh come now force yourself into it so that was as clear as mud to Sabrina she ends up going into school they're having they're starting the festival she goes to the academy they're starting the festival 
And they kind of have this little like maypole situation going where like each girl takes an end, takes a ribbon and they're going to do like kind of this like dance where they weave through each other and, you know, whoever, whatever um, guy, whatever warlock they, um, they end up next to is going to be their partner for the festival. So it's not so much pulling women's names out of hats here. It's dancing to get next to your partner um so nick and sabrina are like okay you know hopefully we'll get paired up and nick's like i'll take care of it we're gonna get paired up don't worry and they do get paired up and you can watch more of the 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 details when you watch the episode because you should watch the episode but they get paired up and they're about to do a basically like what we said in the Google Doc. They have this certain with the knife and the blood and all of that. Like, and oh, then, I like how they put the the they, yeah they put the blood on their heads. They wipe it away with the with milk. The milk, and, yeah. And, it's and, it's yeah. it's easy. It's very simple. And like everyone's paired up. They're out in the forest, like watching, letting Celine just like wash over them, which is so beautiful. And then they hear a wolf. They hear, Mm -hmm. they hear howling and then they fucking leave. And then Nick is like, so yeah, Nick is so cute. And he's like, well, what about for actual Valentine's day? Like, what would you be doing on actual Valentine's day? Like in the mortar Mm -hmm. realm and at her high school, they have a Valentine's day dance. So Nick wants to go with her and they Mm -hmm. do. And it's like super cute. And then you find out like they're alone, like the dance is super cute. There's also like so many other like off stories that you need to watch mm-hmm. the episode. You have, a- yeah, 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 there's a lot. So um, Nick and Sabrina, they are like by themselves. And all of a sudden you see a fucking werewolf and guess okay. what? In a coat. Yeah. Yeah. And guess fucking what? Nick has a familiar that is a werewolf, which I like totally like forgot that werewolves were in the like whole like Lupercalia like sitch. And and he had a werewolf that is his familiar that is super territorial and super protective over him. Like doesn't Mm -hmm. really like any women that play. Yeah, like not at all. Yeah, so uh, they're in the library. They're having a cute, cozy moment. Amalia shows up. Amalia's not happy. Nick has to banish her. Um, And Sabrina's like, what the fuck, Nick? And he's like, well, you know, she's like, all I had, my parents died. And she was given to me. And she's been kind of like, you know, second mother to me. And it's kind of like, it's a through line with the story of Romulus and Remus, like how they were raised by a she-wolf. So like that they threw that in there. Um, and then, you know, Amalia just kind of keeps coming back. They have to go talk to uh, Madam Satan, um, Lilith, about who's masquerading as Miss Wardwell still, um, about like what to do. And she's like, you gotta, you gotta take care of that. You know, you gotta, you gotta kill her basically. And Nick's like, geez. So he goes and does the deed supposedly comes back with a wolf's heart and she's and Sabrina's like okay well you know maybe you will survive now Lupercalia that you have taken care of this this issue and you know the episode goes further into it they get to the final um the final night of the festival where the uh the the witches are kind of dressed up a bit as like little red riding hoods and the warlocks are dressed up like wolves the witches hunt the wolves which is funny um but i'm into it uh so they're on their hunt they're running um ambrose has blown the horn they are they're taken off they're gonna find their partners um they're running through the woods and nick and sabrina get separated uh together they they find each other and then amalia shows up again so she corners sabrina and nick has to reveal that he didn't actually kill her that he killed another wolf in her place ends up having to take care of her and a sad ending to lubricalia but a traditional ending which was pretty much brutality and we have to remember that in the festival of lubricalia in rome they did sacrifice a dog so two goats and a dog i believe um so you know it all kind of comes back full circle sad we don't want to see amalia get taken out but yeah but sabrina sabrina (laughs) yeah and sabrina had to do what sabrina had to do and he she killed her yeah so 
Lubricalia was a fun episode, though. I did like how there was a lot of like things that they paid attention to and the things that they added in, kind of like the mm. milk and blood, soaking up Serene, Celine's light. Serene, I was going to say Serene Celine's light. <laughs> and all the other like back parts of like from all the other characters, what they're going through, it totally just makes sense with the holiday. Mm-hmm. and it, it's a crazy it, time yeah it's a it was a really fucking good episode though I forgot how good of an episode it yeah. was because it's in part two so that's yes. like way back in the day but not really but like yeah. we said before on our past episodes if you haven't watched this series you we should watch the series yeah yes. and you know like just to kind of like top it off, I mean, Valentine's Day is kind of a hard time for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like it because it's a it's considered a Hallmark holiday. It's a holiday that is very obnoxious about partners, usually heteronormative partners, which is not something we want to see. We want to see inclusivity. Um, but it's also can be a time where we can pivot that idea and we can turn it more into celebrating yourself as like the true god or goddess that you are. And having so much love and kindness and respect for yourself, giving yourself the time you need to heal, working on healing, working on growth, and just like really celebrating love and the love that you have in your life. Doesn't necessarily have to be a partner, you know? And that's a golf clap. That is another. That's, that's the tea. That's, that's the tea. So that's the episode. That's all about Lupercalia and Valentine's Day. And you will be getting this right before Valentine's Day. So we hope you have Mm -hmm. a wonderful Lupercalia and Valentine's Day. Yeah. And if you enjoyed this episode, Liddy Titty, if you enjoyed our (laughs) last episodes, also Liddy Titty, you know where to find (laughs) us. Like on the shop, you know, we have the beautiful Venus and Furs oil. We have our other oils on there. We have the rollers that are on there. We have a bunch of stuff. Um, we have, um, I mean, you know, where to find us, Instagram, website, yeah. Google, Spotify, Apple, uh, you know, all that good stuff and eat your chocolate. mailing list, join the mailing yeah. list, eat chocolate, drink wine. If you drink wine, if not grape juice is also good or apple tea, juice, you know, whatever you want. apple juice is fine. <laughs> we love you, witches. it is a time to celebrate yourself. It's a time to celebrate love and union and partnership and, you know, celebrate yourself, treat yourself. So get some chocolate. Get some chocolate and we'll see you next week. Peace out.